the optimal life. So where are you at right now, Leif? I'm in, in Perth, Western Australia. And... Western Australia. But you don't stay there all the time. I mean, you go around quite a bit to some other countries as well, right? I, I've seen you in Indonesia. Is that a place that you frequent? Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of our work is Indonesia, although we, you know, we have um, other countries such as Malaysia and Laos um, that, and even Myanmar that um, we're involved with conservation. Um, but Indonesia is, is our, our main hub for our conservation projects. Yeah. But um, all the projects need to be supported by, um, you know, foundations and funds, you know, in order to keep them going. So that does involve me um, traveling the rest of the world quite a bit um, to connect Absolutely. people. And, and hey, um, can you get a little closer? I just want to make sure that the audio does come through because I'm having a little trouble hearing you. Um, so I, I, okay. want the, I don't want the audience to uh, be thinking to themselves, what is this guy saying? Because you have a lot of good things to say here today. Um, okay, so let's start. Uh, I'd like to know how close are we, human beings, the, our DNA? I mean, how close hmm. are, is our DNA compared to the DNA of an orangutan? Mm-hmm. Um, well, the 97% is, is the same as humans. So that, that's fairly close, not, not as close as um, our closer relatives, chimpanzees, bonobos, which are 99%, and gorillas, which are 98 So they're, in that sense, a more distant cousin. But when it compared to intelligence, they're the most intelligent being that shares our planet. And, and, and therefore, in intelligence, and, and, and um, they're actually our, our closest relative. So they're our closest relative in terms of psychological but you said that they're actually several percentage points less than a chimp and one percentage point less than a gorilla is that what you said that's correct so okay. you know chimps and bonobos are 99 percent the same as us gorillas are uh, 98 and orangutans are 90 so what's the difference now, what, yeah what, mm-hmm. where's the difference though from 99 to 97 what's what's missing what's the delta there um, it, well, it's just really those things which, you know, make us uniquely different, you know, with, you know, um, hair, skin color, bone structure. Um, but it, from a physiological perspective, you know, there is not much difference. And I know when I've, you know, got, you know, we have some serious issues to do, medical issues with orangutans, we normally try to get, you know, one of the top human surgeons um, to help us out. And when they operate for the first time on orangutan, they say, you don't have to educate me. It's exactly the same. You know, so, you know, to operate an orangutan in any way seems to be the exactly the same knowledge. So a doctor, a doctor, if I'm following you, Leif, what you're saying, a, a physician, when they do an operation, some kind of medical procedure on an orangutan, it feels the same as them doing the procedure on a human being. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. And, and what they're saying, one, one, for example, with operating says, I'm going to film some of this for my students. And I said, but I don't even have to tell them, you know, if it's, if it's an orangutan or not, because um, it's identical. That, you know, once you, you know, um, that the physiologically and the makeup from a medical point of view doesn't seem to be very much difference at all. Now, what makes them more sophisticated than their cousins? What makes the orangutan so much you know, a little bit smarter where they do seem just like humans. Are there any things that you could point out uh, fairly easily? 
yeah, they they have a higher level of intelligence than any other being that shares our planet. Now, that often requires some sort of explanation because um, to maybe to broaden the conversation out just slightly for a little bit, um, to become intelligent for no reason is a really stupid thing to do from an evolution point of view because there's two really calorie-consuming organs in our bodies right now, our brain and our stomach, and there's a relationship between those two. And so if you have, if you expand this calorie-consuming entity called the brain for no valid reason for your survival, it actually reduces your chance of survival because you've got to support this thing somehow through gaining more food. So all animals tend to only become intelligent in ways which um, are beneficial to their survival. Um, so, f for example, gorillas, which I call a sports scholarship of the great ape world, are really quite dumb, you know, and many monkeys are, are far more intelligent than gorillas because they simply just sit there, eat the vegetation around them, you know, and, you know, fart all day, you know, and you don't need a big brain to do that. And with that low um, nutrient-rich vegetation which they're eating, you don't need much to um, support yourself and you don't need to support that very small brain. Now, chimpanzees, on the other hand, who live in big groups, are very socially intelligent and in some ways much more socially intelligent than we are. And um, orangutans, on the other um, case, for example, they have they live semi-solitary lives over large distances and have these large temporal spatial maps of the environment where all the food and the dangers and everything get far beyond human capacity. Uh, and they use this high intelligence in this area to survive. And so the, the, the example I normally say is like orangutans may be dancers in a classroom, you know, and tell you, let's say, of, of a five or six-year-old human child. But in the rainforest, they're geniuses, and they look down at us from the trees and look, well, how do these stupid humans survive? They don't seem to have the same sort of intelligence as us because we always seem to have prejudice of... Um, comparing our, level, our type of intelligence against others, which is often un unfair um, to the other species we're studying, such as orangutans. So you said, you made the comment earlier that it would be pretty stupid to become smart for no reason. Essentially, that I'm using layman's terms, but it'd be pretty stupid yes. for a species to become smart to not get any reward or benefit from it. Yet the orangutans, who seem to be extremely at the highest levels of intelligence as primates and, and, and closest to humans, uh, they've been experiencing a, a tremendous amount of pressure when it comes to survival. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, and so they've become intelligent in a highly intelligent and the most intelligent being on the share of the planet because they need the intelligence to survive in their rainforest and environment. And but, but the other thing, of course, is when you become intelligent, intelligent animals tend to start adapting primarily by culture rather than natural selections of genes. Humans, elephants and orangutans are examples of this. So they have very few offspring born with vacant brains, not instinct. And the mother, in this case, programs it or infant over long um, maternal periods. You know, that's why orangutans are the slowest reproducing species in the world. Like, for example, the smart trend, first baby at 15 and nine years between individual infants. What they're doing is programming their babies with culture. And that you need high intelligence for that. 
and that's how they ad adapt to the environment. Um, unfortunately, what happens, and it's the same with humans who also adapt to the right primates of culture, is you change that environment rapidly, the culture can't adapt quickly enough, and you and the and those um, persons become dysfunctional in the new environment. Now, unfortunately, um, as we've seen with indigenous communities who get affected by you know rapid environmental change, um, same with the orangutans. Um, their rainforest home has been destroyed. They become refugees due to climate change, increasing pressure and change within the remaining rainforest, and so they're under extreme stress. And this is why they're um, they're probably one of the most endangered species in the world. Slow. They're, they're endangered not only from animals, but they're also endangered from human activity as well. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the one of the ways we one of the reasons we can adapt to the environment through culture, I have few offspring, invest heavily into them rather than having lots of offspring and allow nature to select which is most um, adapted to the ever-changing environment. We can only do that in a predator-free environment because, for example, if you kill only 1% of the females in a population, the population will spiral to extinction because they're investing heavily in very few offspring. And so when humans come along, the super predator, um, it, the, the populations quickly get decimated and the population spiral to extinction. But if you had, for example, a less intelligent animal, let's say like a cat, who has you know, a lot of instinct, had lots of offspring, you know, who are all genetically a little bit different, they can um, respond and, um, and um, repopulate extremely quickly. Unfortunately, orangutans, an example of an intelligent person, can't do that. And this is one of the reasons they're in such a predicament now because of the number one, the destruction of their homes, and number two, the hunting and killing them now as agricultural pests as they starve to death trying to to survive in what's remaining of their. Rainforest. What are some of the? Uh, what are some of the? Give us a couple, one or two examples of human behavior, or we'll call it human repugnant behavior towards these animals. I mean, you've seen and heard of some pretty nasty things that have happened to these orangutans and their cousins and the chimpanzee. You know, the ape family, uh, shall we say? Mm -hmm. Well, they're basically considered agriculture pests, and and they're macheted to death. They put pests they're considered agriculture pests. Is that what you said, pests? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And, and why are they considered that? Well, what the as a person, self-aware persons, they, they want to live, you know. And so, when the rainforest home is destroyed, um, that's where the food comes from. That's where the shoulder comes from. So. They want to keep living, so what they do is they raid the the, the palm oil plantation and the, the the farm, which has replaced their rainforest home, stealing the food, trying to survive, and of course then that, that's why they're then considered a pest, and then um, they, you know they're then killed. Um, and you said you said they're machete to death. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So what you normally find, let's say on a on a new palm oil plantation, what do they have available to them? They have you know, machetes or params. Um, they have petrol for their vehicles, that sort of stuff. Um, so that's, you know, and some of them may have air rifles to shoot their eyes out to blind them before they kill them. But, you know, not they can't actually dispatch them straight away with, with such low-powered rifles. So those are things which are available to them. So that's what we see how orangutans die. So mm -hmm. it's one of the important things to understand. Not only we're, we're destroying a 
beautiful species were inflicting so much horror and pain and suffering onto self-aware persons that share our planet. You call them persons. And people mm-hmm. may say, that's bizarre. This is an animal. This isn't a person. Why, why are you mm-hmm. calling them persons, Leaf? Mm-hmm. Because they have developed over um, the, the, the concept of individual identity. And so, and, and, that, and as we know, the one, why it's important from a, a moral perspective, developing individual identity, the vast majority of our suffering as persons is psychological. You know, so I can go to your home in America where you may be living in luxury and whatever, and you say, Life, I'm really, you know, unhappy. <laughs> I'm upset because you have anxieties about the past and worries about the future. And so the level of suffering in, in humans and other non human persons is far greater um, with this individual concept of I is not developed. And so they understand that they're alive and understand that you're also a person because they also have the next level, which is the theory of mind. And this makes them, you know, you can actually talk to them, communicate them. They have their own opinions and, and um, viewpoints and they suffer just as, as we do um, mm. when they're, you know, driven to extinction in the most horrible way possible. So based on that analogy or, or that uh, analysis and description, Leaf, mm-hmm. would it be your stance that a person who slaughters an orangutan should be charged for murder as if they were to slaughter Leaf Cox? That's correct. Yes. Yes. And, you know, that seems, you know, you, some of your audience might go, whoa, you know, this guy's off the planet, you know, because human and person seem to be cinnamons and you know that you know but you know the, the actual um example i give to try to um get people to understand where i'm coming from is actually the american declaration of independence where those you know they the, were the greatest men of the time they were you know they weren't you know a bunch of rat bags you know they had a vision for this great nation and they wrote in that it is self-evident that all men are created equal self-evident means they didn't need to explain it to you but those same men kept slaves wasn't self-evident. If your skin was black, you were equal. And more surprisingly, the person that shared their beds and raised their children um, were considered equal women and didn't get the right to vote in America until the 1920s. So we can have these blocks, if that makes sense, the cultural blocks of our time. And so because orangutans, you know, d- um, you look different, you know, act differently and live in a different environment, we have this block and we don't necessarily accept them as persons but all the scientific evidence and if you've um lived with them for 30 years like i have and become friends with many of them um it becomes self-evident that these um beautiful beings that share our planet are persons and deserve the same rights as as we do we just got to overcome that inherent prejudice of them not being the same species as us they're missing one key factor one key trait that i truly believe if they were able to possess they would be treated essentially to the same level as human beings and in my opinion that factor that trait is voice Mm -hmm. the orangutan cannot talk the orangutan cannot speak they may speak to each other but they can't speak to the human level and if you had Mm -hmm. orangutans that were truly able to do what we're doing right here leaf going back and forth and marching together to the city council and saying how effing dare you try to come and attack us literally being able to talk do you think Mm -hmm. that the orangutans would be in a completely different situation 
yeah I, I, well you know we, we certainly treat some human persons you know very badly that can talk and communicate um so it may not necessarily be the you know the answer to everything but but yes but orangutans for example when for example i had to train a diabetic orangutan a big male to get blood and injections you know otherwise he was going to die and I discovered while training with him, he, he wasn't listening to what I was saying, but he knew exactly what I wanted because he's reading my body language. Um, so because we think, you know, in, a, in the terms that language, in the terms that we understand, it doesn't mean they don't have a language. They have a, they have a language, but we have to understand it's different to us. But what we can do and we have done is we've, we've taught great apes, including orangutans, um, American Sign Language, the Sign Language of the Deaf. And I once went to um, one of these research centers in America looking for a, a big male for my uh, females. I had I some females that um, want neither new big male to mate. And I went to this research center because there was one which was a great genetic match for the females I was looking after at the time. And he came up to me and signed to me in um, American Sign Language, which I don't understand. And uh, but eventually found out um, what he was signing to me. He was signing, "Get the keys, let go, let's go." Um, wow! So yeah, I mean they're so brilliant. He, uh, but my my point is, and again, this is all hypothetical. But you have, if you just think in terms of common sense, if these beautiful animals who you say are almost the same as us, especially when it comes to intellect and physiological. If they were had the ability to communicate like we do, they communicate differently. We can't understand. If they communicated like us, I think it would be people would just feel different. And I'm not saying that that's right, but isn't there there's something strange about that concept, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's well. We even take you know our own examples. Is you know people tend to care about what's close to them. You know, so you know. The most selfish man just will care about himself, a, a living being. Then right. the next selfish man carries about his family, community, religion, nation. And outside of those boundaries, he would treat them with total disdain. You know, a nationalist, for example, you know, is a great person for if you're part of his nation. Outside of his nation, he, he, he will be the devil incarnate. And so... Um, so what we, we see, depending on the level of um, personal moral development, that the wider the circle becomes. And so what, what the challenge is, especially when we live in this global time where we can affect how the whole planet functions, our challenge as a, as a species is to expand our level of, you know, that sense of oneness and connectedness with the widest range that's, that's possible. Because nations against nations is not going to solve issues, you know, such as, you know, wars and climate change, only together. And, you know, one third of climate change is caused by the, the eating and the killing of animals for their flesh. Um, the destruction of the rainforest and the habitat of the orangutan is one of the major drivers of climate change. So actually our survival very much depends on our own moral evolution and that's not about the intensity of love for those which are in our inclusive circle, but the boundaries of that love and connecting it with other living beings. And the orangutans as the most intelligent being that shares our planet is an obvious first step. 
you know, if we can include them and other great apes as an example in our concerned sense of being, that, that we will have connection with and love and empathy and with, that will go a long way to helping us evolve as a species, but also help us with our, our immediate needs to, to protect the planet. When you have lost an orangutan friend to some kind of predatory act, how do you cope with those situations? Mm -hmm. um, completely feeling it. Yeah, completely feeling it. Um, and, it's, you know, those feelings. Um, and, you know, because, you know, from a, from a suffering point of view, one of the reasons human beings suffer so much is our adverseness to pain. And so we'll do either two things. We'll shut off. Doesn't make sense. It could cognitive dissonance. Doesn't make sense. And we ignore things, you know. And so we, we don't want to be involved, and therefore we become ineffective. Or the second one is if we resist the pain, um, and, and and therefore you know it continues on. You know, it it, it the pain the pain thrives on our resistance to it. And so we don't want to ignore. We don't want to become mechanical monsters, and we don't want to psychologically suffer ourselves. And the, my understanding of the answer to that is to completely feel, feel the suffering and the connection with all living beings, you know, but with no resistance. And, and then we can actually continue and be loving and have the energy to keep going to help more and more living beings. I mean, that, if that, these, these, these uh, apes, they must feel like family to you. They must, the, you must have created such close connections with these We'll call them people because that you call them persons. Um, persons, yeah, yeah. And then, and then when they're, and then when these persons who you've developed a bond to, with are attacked, destroyed, however, whatever happens, uh, that's a lot of suffering, Leaf. That your that your brain has to go through, and I assume you've been going through it for several decades now since you started this thing. Yeah, no, a, a lot of pain, um, but. Um... Suffering, no. Suffering is a resistance to pain. Um, pain is a natural part of life, and you know, and um, and you know, you don't want to be a robot. You know, I, I don't want to be in a situation where an orangutan or a person gets killed or injured and not feel it. Uh, um, You're saying suffering I, is. But, you said suffering is resistance to pain, meaning someone that's trying to avoid the feelings, as you mentioned correct. before. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and I, would, I I take a lot of people in the rainforest to see orangutans. It's part of the way of connecting people to the cause and you know, to keep keep the work going. And often they have the most tremendous, wonderful experiences. And two, going back to our home in the rainforest where we evolved, that's wonderful in itself. It's, it's, a, it's a great place to be. Secondly, if, because orangutans need so little from it, they're psychologically extremely stable. They have the most loving upbringing um, and they have the most confident independence. So when humans often have relationships with other humans, it's often contractual to a certain extent. You know, for example, a man will say he loves his wife, right? Well, conditions apply. You know, he loves his wife, not someone else's wife, because she caters to his needs. If she stopped catering to his needs and started catering to another man's needs, within 30 seconds, He'll hate her and want to destroy her, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, our relationships are often fraught and contractual, you know, um, 
and not pure in in the sense of pure love without any selfish motivation. Now, orangutans who are so mentally self-sufficient compared to human beings and, and independent, when you become friends with one, it's, it's actually one of the most deepest, beautiful relationships that you can experience. Because orangutan doesn't need anything from you. It's totally mentally and physically independent in the rainforest. And so it, you can actually become this most pure form of friendship that, that most humans um, um, have an experience. And so one of those, I actually call them a more noble form of humanity. They're not killers such that humans are capable of both love and compassion and empathy, but so much horror and destruction. Orangutans don't have that side. Orangutans will not look at another person and want to destroy them and hurt them. Um, and, and so th there are many ways a more noble form of, of humanity that we should not only not destroy, um, but admire and learn from. Fascinating stuff. So when you see the uh, one of your friends get killed and attacked, how does the orangutan family members uh, cope with that do they mourn similar to the way that humans mourn or do they just move on as if you know they've got business to, to tend to you know that they, they they mourn deeply yeah yeah um and and suffer deeply they cry I mean, one example they cry leave they don't they don't cry they don't have the tear ducts and stuff that we do but they 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 get they get depressed and they have psychological problems. I mean, for example, I, I um, was looking after an orangutan that was bombed in World War II. Um, she was an old orangutan and she was a Sultan of Jaws personal pet and she got bombed by the Japanese in World War II. And then when we had these kind of firework celebrations, I would have to sit with her and calm her down all night because she thought she had been bombed by the Japanese again. Wow. Um, and so just like, just like she... In human persons, you know, we can be deeply traumatized, you know, from events. Doesn't make sense. And, um, you know, and, and you know, yeah. and, and that can be a lifelong thing. Right. Well, these what you just said is that these orangutans experience PTSD just just like we do. Again, just another it, it, example, it, it, one, probably one of a million examples you can give, again, showing the direct correlation with how similar we are. Yes, it, it, exactly. You know, we, we are essentially all you know we're up we're, we're, we're persons you know um persons on the same planet you know with this with the same you know rights and desires doesn't make sense and and suffering that we go through and um and experience and you know and we, we should actually be working working together helping each other as we should with all living persons on this planet well, and that's where your mission comes into play, Leaf. What you've been doing—you started back in 1998. Is that correct? I've been working with orangutans for 30 years. But I started the orangutan project in 1998, um, seeing there's a, there's a gap in in our efforts to save the orangutans and the rainforest home. And how many orangutans are still left on this planet? Is it only like 50,000? It's kind of interesting. There's actually three species of orangutans. People just think there's orangutans, but there's three separate species. And um, and then with the morning orangutans, there's three to five subspecies. Now, the most we actually one of the most wonderful things is in the 21st century, you actually discovered a new species of great ape, the Tapanuli orangutan. Um, and but then of course we, we also discovered they've quickly been driven to extinction. There's about 800 of those left trying to survive in a Batamatora ecosystem. 
Now, with the Sumatran orangutans, there's about 14,000 left and about 1,000 a year being killed. The Borneo orangutans spread over the three to five subspecies. It's about 45,000 a thousand. Let, let me let me just stop you, Leaf, real quick. I'm sorry. You said the Sumatra is fourteen thousand. They're being killed at about a thousand a year. How many are they reproducing a year, approximately? Oh, almost very little, because they're the slowest reproducing species in the world. The Sumatra orangutan first baby at fifteen and nine years between individual infants. Mm. So they're having ex- very few babies a year. And so this is why? Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And yeah, and slow reproduction is the um, is the one of the key indicators of your um, susceptibility to go extinct because you cannot bounce back from tragedy as much. And of course, you know, as a habitat destroyed and they're killed, their population um, um, is unable to rebound, and so their populations quickly spiral down to extinction. So, so if we don't do anything with that specific species in approximately 15 years, they'll be gone. Go ahead. I interrupted you. You said the next one, there's about 45,000. Yeah. Well, all of them, because of the, you know, the way that they're living in these small fragmented ecosystems, um, unless we turn it around in the next 10 years, um, they will all go extinct. Um, and so what I mean by that, because people say, look, we've got 10 years to solve the problem. They think I mean in 10 years there's going to be no rainforest. They think in 10 years there's going to be no orangutans. That's not what I mean. You have to have a certain um, type, shape, and size of rainforest for it to survive because rainforest creates its own humidity, microenvironment, and rainfall as just three examples. And so you can't just say patches of rainforest here and there. For example, a lot of scientists believe that the Amazon now has reached a tipping point where it will basically collapse into a savanna because there's not enough Amazon left to support the Amazon rainforest. Similarly, so so in 10 years' time, there may be rainforest, but it, 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 the ecosystems will continue to collapse. Now, there may be orangutans in those remaining rainforests, but populations are too small and fragmented to survive, so the populations again will collapse. So we only got this next decade, and our primary mission is to save enough ecosystems, the right type, shape, and size of the rainforest before it's too late that not only the orangutan populations can survive, the elephants, tigers, but the rainforest itself can survive. And the other self-aware persons who rights are not recognised is the indigenous communities. And so we're doing a lot of work with the indigenous communities to help them survive and, and prosper in the remaining forest ecosystems. So yeah, dig into that a little bit. The orangutan project, you founded it in 1998. Talk to us about what exactly are you guys doing? What do you guys do to try mm-hmm. to get these populations back to a flourishing state? Okay. So what we do, we, we've targeted um, up to eight ecosystems, we, we, you know, and we've got various levels of, of progress. What we do is we um, help form companies and foundations to uh, purchase and lease the land, because sometimes you can lease it, sometimes you can purchase it. Um um, to, to put together ecosystems with the right type, shape, and size. Um, then we're providing the security, the rainforest rangers and security guards to, to secure that forest. Um, we then um, protect and manage the populations of orangutans, tigers, elephants, and other biodiversity in there. And then we work with the local indigenous communities 
to develop agricultural systems under the rainforest canopy, such as um, vanilla, shade coffee, shade cocoa, um, jungle rubber. So the communities can actually survive and prosper. And so the idea is we're going to leave these ecosystems not only environmentally sustainable for future generations, but economically sustainable. Um, and that's and those having both economic, economically and environmentally sustainable will hopefully be the best protection um, for these. And of course, that's not going to be enough because we have to rewild about 25% of the planet for this planet to survive. We have to do all the other things like, you know, reduce animal agriculture and reduce carbon emissions. But even with those two things, without rewilding and sniffing a part of the planet, the planet will not stabilize and survive. And so these ecosystems will become the resource which will allow future generations to stabilize the planet. What are some of your greater success stories that, that you could share with us uh, where you've been able to get in and start having these lands redeveloped and, and flourishing? Uh, can you share some of those with us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, we're at the moment, we're, we're um, working our joint company, PT Hope. Um, and uh, we're working together and we're piecing together 780,000 hectare ecosystems with a variety of partners. And um, yeah, and that and, and now, Leaf, when you say 780,000 ecosystems, how, how do we put that into hectares? Le- sorry. I'm sorry, 780,000 hectares. Oh, oh, it's 780,000. I couldn't hear, understand you. Hectares, yeah, yeah, okay. So you're saying, but how big, how, how, how big is that? What, what can we uh, relate that to? Um, it's probably, let's say, for example, just an idea, the size of Singapore. Yeah, wow. So you guys, okay, I, again, I interrupted you, but I want to make sure that the audience could follow this stuff. So you guys have put together a, a whole new development. Where is that located? It's in East Kalimantan. And so that's just, so we have several of these ecosystems. We have the Busong ecosystem in East Kalimantan, the Samagal ecosystem in, in central um, Borneo. We have the Bukatikapuli ecosystem in southern Sumatra. We have a single peat swamps um, in Akja. And then we have the, what we call the Northeast Megafauna Sanctuary piecing together with our partners in North Akja. So we have these several of these ecosystems um, all over Indonesia that we're working with with wonderful partners on the ground to put together the ecosystems, um, protect them, reforest them where, where necessary, and then have partnerships with the in- local communities. So there's a variety of them all over Indonesia that we're working with. What kind of people that uh, are the ones that are really the masterminds behind these ecosystems that you're creating? Because that has to be a tremendously complicated and challenging task i mean you must be surrounding yourself with some real intellectual firepower for this type of stuff oh that's one of the um the key to successes and i would say people think that you know your success is based on some genius you know (laughs) you know um but we're actually very stupid and the vast majority of knowledge we think we have, we don't have. And the example I give is people think, I ask them, do you know that the if the Earth travels around the sun? And they go and say, yes, of course I know. And I said, no, you're not. You're not an astrophysicist. You've got no idea. But you know somebody in your community that does. You know, And we actually we think it's our knowledge, but it's not. So we're not that bright. Well, 
what we can do is collectivize our knowledge, collectivize our efforts and collectivize our capital. And so um, my best skill is collectivization, collectivizing capital and resources and people. So I, I, I work together and I collect a lot of smart, brilliant, hardworking people together in each ecosystem to form these communities. So each one of us are not that smart in the end. Each one of that is not capable of saving the ecosystem, but working together. And I would argue that human beings have never achieved anything other through collectivization. And that's our main skill, working with others. Um, and that's a skill that um, that I hope to I bring to all these ecosystems. Mm. Um, I would imagine that these are these are environmental people, quite a, you know, people that have experience in the zoo, wildlife, all those kind of things. Actually, it's kind of a, a, a wide range. I mean, for example, working with local communities is, is about agriculture, uh, connection, society. Um, you know, uh, acquiring land is often about legal processes and applica- you know applications and law. With the rangers, it's a you know that military experience. You know how to patrol, how to doesn't make sense, how to do law enforcement. Leaf, so, I got to tell you, Leaf, Leaf, you're the most interesting real estate developer I've ever talked to. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, with you know, in, in real estate, they say there's, there's there's three key things to real estate. You know, location, location, location. When it comes to conservation, there's the the, the three priorities: are habitat, habitat, habitat. You know, and so you know, it, it, it there is a, there is a logic comparing to um, you know being a real estate agent <laughs> and a, and a conservationist. Wow, that's incredible stuff. So. So that's your mission. And then you're you're going out and anybody could get involved. Is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, as we kind of segue into, you know, to, to save the rainforest, it requires a whole bunch of skills. You've caused, you know, people with legal experience, accounting, um, media experience, um, you know, um, community experience, rainforest experience. And then, you know, I, I, you know, I've had the, you know, the wonderful experience of being, you know, working with orangutans and understanding them, but that's just a small part, does it make sense, of all the skill and knowledge we have to piece together to save functioning ecosystems for the, for the future. And so the wonderful thing is people can do two things. They can collectivize their knowledge and experience um, in order to, help um, save the planet and the orangutans in this case as a, as a part of that, or they collectivize their capital. You know, as any good businessman knows is if you want some money, well, get yourself a good job. If you want to make a lot of money, you have to collectivize capital into a company. And so we collectivize the capital of our, our, our supporters all around the world, you know, and then we, we, we make um, significant gains um, through saving these ecosystems and its critically endangered species. And do your investors, we'll call them, do they uh, realize a return or is this all just charitable donation? Mm-hmm. No, there's, there's, there's no return in, in, in that sense. Um, but there is, you know, well, maybe I'll put it this way. You know, poverty sucks, and we've got to take everyone out of poverty, including the indigenous communities that we, we work with directly. Um, but over a certain level, all the psychologists tell us there's no net gain in happiness after a certain point. You know, more wealth is just more gold on a mule's back. You're not actually getting happier. Now, what makes us happier? 
is love and connection and selfless service to others. You know? Absolutely. And so by joining a, a, a vision and a cause beyond your own selfish needs, it not only benefits others, it actually makes you happy and more fulfilled. You know, yeah, it's, and it's, so it's, it's not it, 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 it's a genuine transaction between us and our donors, you know, in this, you know, makes sense. It, and with yeah. anything, with the indigenous communities, future generations, the orangutans and people and our donors and our work, there's always going to be a win-win situation. And, and only win-win solutions have the efficacy and longevity to make meaningful change. It's uh, fascinating stuff. There's no doubt that having an impact, a positive impact on others uh, throughout the world, that's an emotional reward that you can't put a dollar value on. Uh, the orangutanproject.org. We have linked this in the show notes. We mentioned that, Leaf. That's been your prime mission. You did also talk about how you have the International Elephant Project, International Tiger Project, Forest for People. Those we've linked as well. I- I'm just curious, though, do the tigers ever – uh, cause a, a potential threat to the orangutans? Mm. Well, the tigers live on the ground, and when we, um, and while orangutans never go to the ground because that's where the tigers live, and when we, we're introducing orangutans back in the wild, we will not let them sleep out at night until they learn to make a nest and sleep up in the trees. So, although, yes, tigers obviously are a, a major predator. Um, and, you know, a lot of our staff have been attacked by them at the moment because swine flu is killing the pig population, so they're starting to starve. But from the from a practical point of view, they, they offer no um, practical threat, I guess, to orangutans because they um, live arboreally. That's uh, fascinating stuff. Where would you want people, Leaf, to uh, – cont- I mentioned the website. Anywhere else you want people to find you, social media, online, et cetera? Mm. Um, well, they, they can go to um, my personal website, leifcox, L-E-I-F-C-O-C-K-S dot O-I-G, and it's got my books people can purchase and links to my social media to, to follow um, my journey uh, um, with all the different um, projects, elephants, tigers, and, and, and working for people. Um, yeah, and so, of course, it's, it's, it's a wonderful journey, and a lot of people um, take the time out to come on one of my echo tours into the rainforest mm. and experience how wonderful orangutans are. And, and, and again, of course, as we touched on, meet some wonderful people, um, you know, who are working, you know, in the rainforest um, to help leave this planet a better place for future generations. That's got to be an incredible experience. Uh, we've linked that in the show notes. All these links are there, guys. If you want to learn more about Leaf, his mission, his companies, the 501c3, uh, having an impact, getting involved, take a look. We've also linked, you mentioned there's books. Uh, you did write a bestseller several years ago, Orangutans, My Cousins, My Friends, A Journey to Understand and Save the Person of the Forest. That is linked as well. And uh, check out his Facebook too, guys, Orang- uh, leaf.orangutan on Facebook. I think you got about 100,000 people following you over there as well. Um, mm-hmm. Really interesting stuff. I- I'm wishing you nothing but the best, continued success with everything. I do have one final question for you, and this is going to be co- somewhat off topic, but very interesting since you've gotten to know these species that are so closely related to humans. So you have a different perspective than most of us do about just human behavior, the way that we interact, primate behavior, the, the how close we are. We're only a couple, two, three percentage points away in DNA. I mean, that's super close. How do you think humans have evolved over time, Leaf? 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, we, we've evolved and, um, you know, become intelligent. And now the reason why we've become so successful is through the development of oral language, as you, you hinted in. And so, for example, um, and, and we're bound to powerhouse our culture. So, for example, we not only have intelligent knowledge of all the people in our culture at the moment, in our group, but for centuries, because we can accumulate. And even indigenous communities, they have oral traditions through their stories they pass down from generation to generations. So it's our it's our initially oral tradition of culture, now written culture, um, which allows us to have all the knowledge on the past and all the knowledge of our community together. And that's made us obviously extremely successful, you know, and exponentially allows us to um, develop and, and grow. Now, the challenge now is, is to, for us to have the moral expansion. And that's really the issue. If we can now gain not only intellectual and cultural advantage, but the moral uh, superiority to include all other living persons and beings, humanity, elephants, tigers, orangutans, in that circle of love and compassion, um, we, we will be doing the best service to, to save ourselves. The circle of life, beautiful stuff. Uh, thank you so much and, and best wishes to you. Well, thank you very much. It's been wonderful being on the show.